This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Reindeer. Oh, you know, Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall how many reindeer there are in all? Or even what their proper names are? Before we dive in, though, we want to make a couple of things clear, especially to parents. First, if you are a parent and no one has had the Santa talk with you yet, let's get it out of the way right now. We know you've been brought up to believe certain things and that you've had a very enjoyable life up to this point believing those things. We don't want to make you feel bad or hurt your feelings or anything like that. But you have to know, because you've gone too long not knowing and it's important we be accurate about these things, you have to know that at the GM Word of the Week's castle located at the West Pole, Santa Claus exists. That's right, Santa Claus is really real. So real that he believes in himself, and that's as real as you can get. Now, if you're the sort of parent who can't handle that fact, we have to ask you to leave the room. This episode isn't for you. Let your children enjoy it in peace. They'll be happy, we're sure, to help you understand why this is so later on. The second thing we want to make clear is that this is for the children. We're aware that our listeners include children who are actual children and children who are actually children at heart. You're both welcome here, and we're delighted to count you among our fans. This episode is just for you, no matter what age you are. We recommend you snuggle up under a warm blanket with a cup of hot cocoa, maybe with some of those little multicolored marshmallows, just like our grandma used to do it. Get ready to listen to the really real facts about Santa Claus's reindeer. Facts that are just as important to know as all those other facts about literature, history, biology, and mathematics that they teach you in school. In order to come to grips with the names and number of Santa's reindeer, we first have to look at where the original eight, as we'll call them, came from. We're sure you've heard of the poem from Clement Clark Moore called A Visit from St. Nicholas, but more commonly known as The Night Before Christmas. If, for some strange reason, you haven't heard this poem or had it read to you, please kindly insist that your parents stop being the wrong sort of parents and get them to read it to you immediately. If nothing else, it represents a classic piece of American literature, one of the few poems that most people actually know. But the poem is even more important than that. If it wasn't for the night before Christmas we wouldn't know a lot of the things we now know about Santa Claus. For example, it is this poem that first explains that Santa Claus arrives on the night before Christmas and not on Christmas Day itself. Up to the point when the poem was first published in 1823, Christmas, much like other holidays, was pretty much observed any old which way, with everyone sort of doing their own thing. As the poem gained in popularity and was repeatedly published in various magazines and newspapers, it became more and more understood that Santa arrived on Christmas Eve. 
We expect people were very happy to learn this, as it made leaving out cookies, carrots, and milk for Santa and the reindeer much easier. Not only that, it made it much easier for people to accept Santa in general, as it helped separate Santa Claus from the Christian observation of Christmas Day itself. It wasn't long before families were looking forward to a visit from Santa on Christmas Eve, just as if they'd always done it that way. By the way, some people aren't so sure that Clement Clark Moore actually wrote the poem. It was published anonymously in the Troy Sentinel in 1823 by a friend of Moore's who had heard the poem from him. But it wasn't until 1837 that Moore was attributed as the author, and he didn't claim it himself until 1844 in an anthology of his own works. But in 1859, the children of a man named Henry Livingston, Jr., who died in 1828, suddenly realized that the poem everyone had been so enthused about was a poem their late father had recited to them 15 years prior to its first appearance in print. And since then, there have been a number of attempts to prove the poem's authorship, but it remains credited to Clement Clark Moore to this day. Anyway, in the night before Christmas, Moore describes a visit from Santa Claus, or rather St. Nicholas, whom we've explained elsewhere in our episode on saints. Moore and his wife are just going to bed late one Christmas Eve, when, out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Hang on a second. Eight tiny reindeer? Tiny? Oh dear. Reindeer, as you may know, are also called caribou. And before we can get very far into that discussion, it is important to note that they aren't R-A-I-N deer, they are R-E-I-N deer. In fact, reindeer is the name used in general when referring to European members of the species Rangifer tardanus. And caribou refers to those found in North America. They were once found in herds numbering in the hundreds of thousands in the Arctic and subarctic regions of both continents, and are often seen in nature films fording treacherous rivers by the thousands as they migrate from one feeding location to another with a change of seasons. Usually they're there to prove a point about how hard it is to survive in the wild, which is true, but leaves out the fact that many groups of reindeer don't migrate at all and stay right where they are. The rain part of reindeer comes from Old Norse and means, well, it means reindeer. It was just their name for the animal. It got combined with the Middle English word for any animal that wasn't some sort of domesticated animal, deer. Hence, reindeer means reindeer animal, which means reindeer animal animal, which means, well, you get the idea. Caribou, on the other hand, is much easier to work out. It came to us through the French, who got it from the Micmac name for the animal, Qualipu. Roughly, that means snow shoveler. Because that's how the caribou get their food in the winter months, by shoveling through the snow with their hooves to reach the plants beneath. The tiny thing is a problem, though. Reindeer are by no means a small animal. 
Their antlers, for instance, which unlike other deer are grown by both males and females, are second in size only to moose. Females of the species can weigh up to 260 pounds, while males can weigh 400 pounds or more. At nearly five foot tall at the shoulder, very few people would describe caribou as a medium-sized creature, let alone tiny. But then there are the Svalbard reindeer. A unique population of reindeer found only on the Svalbard archipelago of Norway, they can be described as small for reindeer. Males average just 150 to 200 pounds, half of the other caribou subspecies. They're short-legged, and their fur hangs in such a way as to make their legs look even shorter than they actually are. Even so, they only stand about two and a half foot high at the shoulder. You definitely could, if you were familiar with other species of reindeer, call the Svalbard reindeer tiny by comparison. And since they are one of the most northern living species of reindeer, they are prime candidates for being the reindeer pulling Santa's sleigh. Now, certain kinds of adults might choose this moment to mention that regardless of the species of reindeer or caribou in question, they do not fly. These are just the sort of adults who should not be listening to this episode under any circumstances. If you have one of those kinds of parents in the room with you saying that kind of thing, shoo them out of the room immediately. Pay them no mind, because they do not know what they are talking about. They can come back later after we smart people are done. To be fair, lots of folks seem to have gotten the idea that Santa's reindeer fly. It's hard to say exactly why, it just seems to have happened, mostly because we think people don't read very carefully. Seriously. In the poem that told us a lot about Santa and his ways, Moore doesn't mention the reindeer flying at all. In fact, he seems pretty clear that they don't fly. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name, which we'll get to in a minute, but for now, just note that he refers to them as faster than eagles, but not actually flying. And coursers just mean swift or fast, but in this context, Particularly with the previous reference to eagles, we feel pretty sure that Moore had a now uncommon definition of coursers in mind that specifically referred to long-legged old-world birds known for their speed in running while chasing down the bugs they eat. Not that he was saying the reindeer were actually birds, or that they could actually fly, or that they ate bugs. Just that thanks to poetic license and the use of metaphor and imagery, they were a lot like that in their behavior and approach. After naming the reindeer, Moore goes on. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle mount to the sky, so up to the housetop the coursers they flew, with the sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. See, the reindeer aren't flying at all. First, they jump to the top of the porch, and from there to the top of a nearby wall, and then more deliberately invokes the image and metaphor of dry leaves being blown around in a strong wind. The wind will blow the leaves right up the side of a building or wall, and then up and over it as the leaves follow the wind. And in exactly that manner, the coursers, the reindeer, get on top of the house. No flying required. They just leapt from ground to porch to wall to roof, dragging Santa and everything else with them, which is why he needed eight. One reindeer can do all that by itself, but Santa's a big guy, 
and the sleigh is big and full of toys. So a few extra reindeer are needed. You see, it all makes sense when you read carefully. As a result, we're confident Santa makes use of a special, but non-flying, private herd of Svalbard reindeer all his own. You can explain it to those poor know-it-all adults after we're done here. Speaking of eight reindeer, we promised to tell you their names and how many reindeer Santa actually has. So let's get on with it. Back to the poem, even though you know what we're going to say already. More rapid than eagles his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Dunder and Blixem? Dunder and Blixem? Who the heck are they? Well, strangely, they are the names of the final two reindeer, as they originally appeared in the first versions of the poem. And the reason we don't recognize them as such now is kind of confusing. But here are the facts as we understand them. Thunder and Blixem is an originally Dutch phrase that meant thunder and lightning. But one of the early publishers of The Night Before Christmas, Charles Hoffman, noticed, like you probably have, that Blixem doesn't really rhyme with vixen. One ends in M, the other in N. It doesn't really work. Since no one at that point knew who the author was, Hoffman decided to change it to Blitzen, so it would rhyme properly. He also apparently thought Dunder wasn't really the right spelling, since almost everyone was pronouncing it Donder, with an O and not a U. So he changed that too. And that's the way things stayed for a few years. Donder and Blitzen. But in 1844, Clement Clark Moore was preparing the poem for publication in his own book and took the opportunity to tidy things up a bit. To further clarify things, and possibly because he wasn't all that comfortable with Dutch in the first place, Moore decided to rename Blitzem to Blitzen, and either kept the change or changed his own dunder to Donder. Eventually someone, and no one seems to be sure who, noticed that a small alteration to Donder would then bring it in line with the name Blitzen, and thus restored the original thunder and lightning meaning, except this time in German. And so Donder became Donner. Donner and Blitzen, thunder and lightning. Why any of the other names? No one knows or has ever said. Presumably Moore just heard them called that way, and since it was Santa, went with it. So there's your answer. Eight reindeer, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, and Blitzen. Except... Well, we know who the exception is, don't we? It's that little red-nosed fellow, Rudolph. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was introduced to the public thanks to the department store chain Montgomery Wards and Robert Louis May, the man hired by the chain to make a coloring book for them in 1939. The idea came to May one day while watching the fog roll in from Lake Michigan into downtown Chicago, at which point he conceived of a reindeer that could lead Santa through the fog. More than 2.4 million copies of Rudolph's story were given out that first year. And if you've never heard the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, again, 
Please stop having the wrong kind of parents and get them to read it to you or sing you the song immediately. Honestly, what kind of parents are you bringing up these days? In our day, we raised them properly and parents read and sang to us every night. Get with it, kids. Rudolph is a young reindeer with a problem. See, his nose is red. And all of the other reindeer laugh and call him names because they don't have red noses, do they? The jerks. Rudolph's life is pretty terrible, but not having social media to vent on, he simply has to learn how to deal with it in positive ways with the help of his parents. Which is something you should note and count. Rudolph, plus two parents, plus all of the other reindeer. Eventually, Santa, who is in charge of all the other reindeer yet never seems to exert any real control over their behavior or the way they treat each other, notices Rudolph's nose. When the fog rolls in one Christmas Eve, Santa hitches up Rudolph to the sleigh with the original eight and uses his bright red nose to navigate the murky night, thus saving Christmas and ensuring Rudolph's place in history. A few years after the story was written, May's brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, wrote the song you know so well. And in 1949, movie and TV singing cowboy hero Gene Autry sung a hit version of it that sold 2.5 million copies the first year and was the second best-selling record of all time until the 1980s. And that doesn't even include the information we're given about Santa's reindeer in the 1964 Rankin-Bass animated stop-motion holiday special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and its sequels. The original special is run on TV every year since 1964, thereby making it the longest continuously running Christmas special in history. It follows the plot of the song, but also introduces us to a number of new characters, including Yukon Cornelius and the inhabitants of the Island of Misfit Toys. We've talked about them before in our Touchstone episode. Among them are a whole host of additional reindeer, including the young Fireball, Rudolph's friend Clarice and her father, and also the wives and husbands of the original eight. Already, we're up to at least 20 reindeer. But that's not all. In 1902, L. Frank Baum, creator of the Wizard of Oz books and sequels, wrote a book entitled The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, in which Santa's personal history is told from his infancy to the eventual bestowal of immortality that keeps him alive to this day. In it, Santa invents the concept of toys, the reasoning behind various Santa traditions are explained, and throughout it all, he is aided by a number of immortals from the beginning of time, as well as a number of reindeer, thereby cementing their association with him. But these are reindeer you've probably never heard of before. Flossie and Glossy are the main helping reindeer, but others include Racer, Pacer, Fearless, Peerless, Ready, Steady, and the very oddly named pair Feckless and Speckless. That alone brings us to 30 known reindeer. Although, now that Rudolph is so well known, some other reindeer seem to want to antler in on the action and have come forward to be recognized. These include Zoe and Rudolph's cousin Arrow, Cupid's son, from the 1998 Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer the Movie movie, starring John Goodman and Whoopi Goldberg. Annabelle the reindeer, who starts life as a calf, but really wants to fly like a reindeer and so becomes one in Annabelle's Wish from 1997. Some sort of demented reindeer named Scratcher from Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. Thrasher makes an appearance in Prep and Landing as part of Santa's advanced team of elves. There's a Chet, 
Blizzard, Snowcone, Shadrach, and Leroy, the redneck reindeer, Lightning, who's learning to fly, there's even Santa's backup team of Steven, Fluffy, Horace, Chantel, Skippy, Rainbow, Patches, and Montel? Look, all in all, we know of at least 70 other reindeer from films, books, songs, and various games by name. And if you assume that each of them have a mother and a father, and that normal non-Santa reindeer live an average of 15 years and can have one calf a year, well, we have to consider the very real possibility that Santa himself has a small herd of at least 1,500 reindeer at any given time as a conservative estimate. And that's a lot of reindeer to take care of. We're not sure a couple of dry carrots are going to cut it. But at least now you know. And now you can tell all those naysaying adults that the existence of Santa's reindeer is not only possible, but entirely probable. They don't even have to fly. And you can point to the documented proof that they do exist and even rattle off the names of not just the ones everybody knows, but some of the other ones who don't have nearly so good a PR firm backing them up. You go right ahead and believe in Santa and his reindeer. You tell anyone who asks, we said so, and point them right at this episode where they can hear it for themselves. But there's one thing we can't get behind. There's one line in Clement Clark Moore's The Night Before Christmas that we know just can't be true. One line that bothers us beyond belief. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf. And I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. And frankly, if that were true, Mr. Moore would be lucky to be alive. Why? Well, you'll just have to wait until next week to find out in our final episode of the year. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by the Angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com. Thank you.